Again, reading with verse 18. Paul's writing here and he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. Well, a, uh, an article came up on my uh, email uh, this week. Uh, I, a, a theologian who uh, was tasked to answer one of the most vexing, difficult theological questions uh, of our time. I mean, uh, it is a question where, uh, at least uh, the years that I've been in ministry, it's one of those questions that comes up time after time after time after time. Uh, I can't tell you the number of people who have asked me this question and how many people really struggle with the question and with the outcome of this question. I mean, that people are really wrestling with it. And actually, the answers uh, to this question, the various answers that have come up, have really sparked a lot of intensely heated debates. Uh, I know one ministry in particular uh, that has gotten into some very intense debates over this answer to the question. And they're all evangelicals. They all believe kind of the same way. But when it comes to this question, it's almost that people fall into knockdown, drag out fights. I mean, it's, a, it's an intense question. And, and that is, of course, as you know, it's our pets in heaven. I mean, it is a really hot button issue. You know, is, is your pet dog that you had growing up that was so faithful to you, will he be in heaven? You know, we don't somehow believe that they'll be in hell, uh, but I've met some pit bulls that I wouldn't be surprised if they ended up there. Uh, but uh, it's something that, you know, a lot of people struggle with. And there's a lot of very, very fierce debates about this question. And, uh, uh, and I'm going to tell you the definitive answer to this question. So, you know, if you need to make notes on this, I'll take a quick drink. If you need to make answers... Here it is, we don't know. We'll just have to wait until we get there and find out, you know. <laughs> but it does tell us, you know, questions like this really do show us how attached we are to the creation that God has made for us, this world that God has so carefully crafted for us to live in, uh, the world that is so beautiful uh, sometimes uh, I've been in places around the world that I feel like this is impossibly beautiful. It, it is so attractive and so wonderful and so extravagant that I, you know, I look at it and I say, there's got to be a God. That's the only way something like this, this beautiful, could exist. It can't happen by happenstance. Uh, but we have this creation 
And obviously, it's a really big issue today, uh, whole issues like climate change. Now, and the question comes up, can we reverse climate change? Uh, is that possible? And what is the price of reversing climate change? Uh, we could easily reverse climate change, probably, if we wiped out all cars, uh, all form of fossil fuels, we wiped out all forms of fossil fuels and killed uh, three and a half billion people, uh, we probably could reverse easily climate change if we did that. But would we want to pay that price? Would that even be a righteous price to pay to destroy half of humanity in order to reverse climate change? Where does the world come into in terms of that order of value? Uh, what is the hope for our planet? Is there hope for our planet? What is the, the context that we live in? And obviously, it's a really big issue these days. Climate change has become one of the biggest issues in people's minds, primarily because of how much it's been promoted by the media, but also how much it's, it's promoted by groups such as uh, Extinction Rebellion and any number of other groups. And the question is, is it righteous? Is it, is it what we need to be doing? Is there hope? Can we really, as human beings, stop? Uh, or reverse the decline of the planet? Uh, is that possible? Should we be doing that? Uh, certainly as Christians, we know that human beings were given uh, the command to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. And the whole idea behind subduing the earth is to manage it according to God's will and God's ways. And, and it's very difficult to argue with the proliferation of plastic and the like that we've actually managed the planet according to God's will and God's ways. And so what do we do? Is recycling enough? Is cleaning up plastic enough? You know, what, what are the issues? And it's really, really difficult for us to know in this time because a lot of people, either there tends to be one of two approaches to, to resolving this issue. Either one is that, yes, we can save the planet and we have to do whatever it takes in order to save the planet, even if it meant eliminating people or decimating livelihoods, we have to save the planet. And on the other hand, you have a number of people who uh, say, well, no, we can't save the planet, so eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. And so let us, let us do what we need to do. I, it reminds me of a bumper sticker I used to see back in the 1980s on these big motor homes in the United States, you know, those that are bigger than a, a, a normal flat in London, uh, and they'll be driving down, you see back on, on the back, I'm spending my children's inheritance. And that was kind of the idea behind that. How do we as Christians both embrace reality, but also give a sense of hope in the struggle to resolve this question? Uh, we've defined our hope, Christian hope, as an earnest expectation of good, good outcomes, and a good future based on a true knowledge of God and God's promises founded on a relationship with the Father through the resurrected Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's all about good outcomes that we are expecting because of who God is in our relationship with Him. So what are the good outcomes for the planet? Are there good outcomes for the planet? How do we help people work through these kind of issues? 
in, in light of that idea of hope. Well, Paul gives us some insights here. Now, he's talking here when he says, uh, I, can, I, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing. He's talking about his own sufferings, but he's also talking about human fail, frailty, human failures, human difficulties, persecution, unrighteousness, sickness, all of the kinds of things that we go through. He says, listen, we can't compare this with what we're going to experience. We can't compare this with the good that God has intended for us in the future. And he's saying that uh, there's going to be glory that will be revealed in us in the future. And we've been talking about that and how that is the basis of our hope. And then notice what he says. He says, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. There's a whole sense that our planet, the universe itself, has a sense of longing, has a sense of desire for this good future that God has intended. There is a dynamic. It's almost like our universe is alive. I'm not saying that it's, you know, like in, inhabited by a spirit, uh, as some uh, Eastern religions would say. But there's life that God created, and this universe that God has created is longing for something good to happen. And the good is the revealing of the sons of God. Now what is that? That is when we, as Christians, are revealed to be fully the sons of God in Jesus Christ. In full relationship with Jesus, full relationship with our Father, there is a time on this earth, on this planet, when Jesus comes again, when we will be revealed as the sons of God, and there is a promise that something is going to happen. We get a glimpse of that in Revelation, and the promise in Revelation seems to be that there will be a time, perhaps a thousand-year period of time, when Jesus Christ is established as king on the earth, as well as king in heaven, uniting everything together in heaven and on earth under his kingship. And during that time, we who are in Christ Jesus will be revealed as the sons of God. And during that time, we in obedience to Christ Jesus, will fulfill the creation mandate that the Father had given from the beginning, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. There will be a season in the future where righteousness reigns on the earth and human beings function in relationship with creation in the way that God had originally intended under the lordship of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is pointing us to when he says uh, the cre creation is longing for the revealing of the sons of God. That's the future we're going to. That's the promise we have. And then, he goes on, verse 20, he says, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. Now this can be kind of confusing. What is this futility that the creation was subjected to? Now, it's very typical in some circles to say, well, this is what happened when Adam sinned. And Adam sinned, Adam and Eve sinned, sin entered the world, and Satan received a great deal of authority. But that's not what Paul is talking about. Paul is talking about when God created the universe itself. We have to understand God intentionally created this universe. There's nothing accidental about it. 
When he created it, we know one thing certain from the very moment of creation, and that is the second law of thermodynamics. Now, all of you being very good physics physicists, you know the second law of thermodynamics. You live every day by the second law of thermodynamics. It's the second law of thermodynamics that gets you up in the morning. It's the second law of thermodynamics that makes you eat, uh, drink your cups of coffee, and go throughout your day. The second law of thermodynamics, basically simplified, is the law of decay. What happens when stars burn? And stars started burning from the day one of creation. They start decaying. What happens if you burn a log? The moment you start to burn it, it starts decaying. This is the futility. God, when he created this universe, never intended this universe to be permanent. God put a temporary dynamic in this universe from the very day of creation. And we know this, we know he never intended it to be permanent because in the last chapter of the last book of the Bible, we read about a new heaven and a new earth. It's not a remodeled version of this heaven and earth. It's a completely new universe that God will create one day for us to live in for all eternity. That will happen. But a lot of things are going to happen before we get the new heavens and the new earth. And so from the very beginning, there was a bit of futility, if you will, in creation. There was this, this understanding that's in the very DNA, the very essence of this universe. Eventually, if left to its own devices, it will wear down and burn out. Scientists, all scientists know this. They understand this. Now, the universe, you know, is will be here as long as God wants it, but he created it with that purpose. He created it with that intention. He is the one who subjected the creation to this futility from the beginning. Now, time doesn't permit us to talk about why God might do that. There's a number of very good, uh, understandable reasons why he, he might have done that. But he did it, notice this, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption, its bondage to decay, and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So the idea for God is that this creation was subjected to this bondage to decay, this bondage to corruption, this sense of futility, so that one day the creation might experience the hope of the glory of the children of God as we are revealed to be the people that God has created us to be. The creation itself will be set free from all of this. And we know that eventually, when God creates a new heaven and a new earth, it will be completely different dynamics, different laws of physics that God is going to set up for this. But in the meantime, there is a hope that not only at some point in the future when Jesus Christ comes again, but even now as we work in the kingdom of God, as we work under the leadership of God in the power of the Holy Spirit, we can engage in the creation, we can be good stewards of the creation, we can care for the creation as God wanted us to care for the creation, but we do that knowing that ultimately, without the dramatic intervention of God, this creation is going to wind down. This creation is going to die out. This creation is not permanent. 
That's why, verse 22, the whole creation has been groaning in the pains of childbirth until now. It's like the whole creation wants this to come, wants Jesus to come again, wants righteousness to be restored, not only amongst people, but also in the creation itself, in the whole DNA of the creation itself, to have something of the glory of God to be revealed in it, and the glory of the sons of God to be revealed in this. And then Paul takes the, the general and makes it particular with verse 23, not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. Notice what he says here, the redemption of our bodies. So even, I mean, now as my hair gets grayer and my bones get creakier, I understand better what Paul's saying here. Now, there's a part of me that groans that it is looking forward to that time when Jesus comes again and I get a new body, as promised in the Bible. I get a body that's not going to wear down, it's not going to decay. That's going to be great. It might be a body that can run a marathon and hardly get winded. You know, I, I'd like that idea. Because right now, I don't care to run marathons and things like that. And Paul is saying here, notice verse 24, in this hope... We were saved. What is he talking about? The hope of the redemption, not only of us, but our bodies and all of the created order. So we have a hope that one day this creation will come fully under the rulership of Jesus Christ, and we together with Jesus will demonstrate what God intended this creation to be like from the beginning in the Garden of Eden, and we will do that until the day that God says, okay, now it's time. I'm ready to make the new heavens and the new earth. And we will see that. And we will enter into it. And we hope for that. We look forward to that. But we wait with patience until that comes again. So we as Christians, we always live our lives in attention. On the one hand, we know this world, this universe is not permanent. One day this universe will wear down. If there wasn't God, if he doesn't exist, then one day, no matter what, no matter what Extinction Rebellion does or what any environmentalist does, this world will cease to exist. This world will burn up. This world will decay until life is no longer possible. Everything wears down. But we don't live with that kind of pessimism. We live with this hope that we know in the future God will give us a new heaven and a new earth. We live with this hope that in the future Jesus comes again and righteousness reigns on the earth and we as human beings together will govern the earth, will subdue the earth in the way that God intended under God's leadership. We will be good stewards of the planet in a way that promotes the glory of God and the righteousness of God and the wonder of creation just as God intended from the beginning. But in the meantime, we are called, even as Christians, to engage in that stewardship now, today, to seek to manage this world and to engage in this world in a way that demonstrates God's intention for this planet. Ultimately, to be a place in which his glory is revealed in his son, Jesus Christ. And this is our hope. Let's pray.
Gracious God, thank you so much. Thank you for the hope that we have. Thank you for the world that you've created for us. Thank you for the place that you've given us in this world and in this universe. Father, show us day to day how we can act as good stewards of this planet that you created for us. But Lord, please protect us from any kind of idealistic distortion, thinking that somehow, without the return of Jesus, this world is going to be perfected. That somehow, without the power of God and Jesus Christ, this world could be saved. That somehow, without salvation in the cross of Christ, that human hearts could be changed to do the right thing instead of the sinful thing. Let us live in the hope of salvation the hope of redemption, not only for ourselves, but also for our bodies and for this whole creation. And let us be beacons of this hope to a world that is looking in so many ways to things that bring false hope, not true hope. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.